0: Word for word, the same as the words that Jesus gave to the twelve when he originally commissioned them. And so I think that what we've got here is Jesus sharing and laying foundations, if you like, into the lives of his followers as they face a fresh challenge of reaching out with the gospel into new areas. This is a key moment, if you like, in the unfolding of the mission of Jesus. It marks the beginning of a fresh season of mission and a fresh season of the progress of the gospel and a fresh season of the advance of the kingdom of God. We need, don't we, to see a fresh breakthrough of the gospel into the communities around us. you agree with that? I mean, do you see that mountain that's there? I mean, God's done wonderful things. We've got wonderful stories and a wonderful history and there's been great seasons of breakthrough in terms of what God's done. But I want to encourage us, dear friends. God is challenging us and encouraging us to go for so much more than we've currently seen happen. And uh, I believe as we understand and apply some of these principles, um, that they'll serve us and help us to be more effective as we, as we look together to go for that. So let's read the passage, Luke chapter 10, and uh, just read from verse 1 to verse 9. After this, the Lord appointed seventy-two others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the labourer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, we just ask for your help this morning as we look into these words that that your son spoke to the 72. We want to pray today that these would be living words that shape the way that we live our lives so that we can see fresh advance in terms of the mission that you called us to. Father, we just open our hearts to you and we pray for equipping words and an equipping sense of your spirit on us as we look into this now. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Okay, this is a commission that I think, as I've said, holds some key Principles, and of course it 's not an isolated commission it 's the same almost word for word as Jesus spoke to the twelve and I, I want us to just understand and look into this and reflect on it. The first thing and the first principle I think that we have to uh, get to grips with is the need first of all for us to see and appreciate the harvest that 's before us. Jesus speaks here of the of the harvest that 's the metaphor that he uses as he's about to launch those that have gathered to him and have put their faith in him and are choosing to follow him as he's about to launch them out into a fresh season and phase of taking the gospel to those that have not yet heard he speaks to them of this picture of a harvest field and of course it's a metaphor that, that naturally comes into the mind of jesus It's not the only time that Jesus speaks of the harvest. In fact, often when Jesus is commissioning those that are following him into a fresh season of taking the gospel and the kingdom out into new regions and new places, into his mind comes this picture of the harvest. In in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, Jesus, as he considers the massive needs all around him and is moved, as we read there, with compassion for the multitudes, turns to the twelve and talks to them about a harvest that's before them. Here in Luke 10, it's the same with the 72. Again, he talks to them about a harvest field. In John 4, we read as Jesus is having this one-on-one interaction uh, with the woman at the well in Samaria and is about to enter into the town of Sychar and there's about to be a fresh breakthrough of the gospel into that community. He turns to his disciples and he talks again to them about the harvest that's there to be reaped. This, of course, would have been a very real, vivid down-to-earth picture for those that Jesus is talking to. They're obviously living in a pre-industrial agricultural society. They're used to the the, the seasons and the harvest and the sowing that goes on. We, of course, live in a post-industrial society, and so it's perhaps not such a, a clear, immediate, accessible picture to us, but I believe it's helpful. I want us to think a little and understand a little about what this means. What does this metaphor illustrate? Well, I think very simply there are two things, two primary things. The harvest speaks, first of all, of the massive needs stroke opportunities that exist in the communities right now all around us. Massive needs but massive opportunities right now in the communities that exist all around us. There's a harvest out there for us. And secondly, I think the harvest speaks of the nature of our task, our primary task as workers. Jesus refers to his followers as workers in that harvest field. So it helps us understand the extent of the need and opportunities but I think it also helps us understand what chiefly we're called to give ourselves to. We need to see the harvest. The phrase literally here, and it's the same in Matthew 9, word for word, is this. The harvest truly is great. In John 4, Jesus speaks not only of how the harvest is truly great, but of how the, the harvest is actually at the point of readiness. And he talks, about, talks to the followers about, look, don't say another three or four months until this starts to happen. Look at the harvest and see it's white. It's at the point of rightness and readiness. Now is the time. So there's a massive harvest that is at a point of readiness and we need to understand the communities around us in that way. That's how we've got to see our neighbourhoods and our streets and the communities that exist all around us. Jesus in Matthew 9 looks out on these massive needs and the multitudes and is moved with compassion. And he's keen that his followers are moved with the extent of the massive need that exists in the communities all around them. The word in Matthew 9 that describes what Jesus went through emotionally literally refers to the, the innards. It's, uh, it's the word translated compassion, which is a bit of a weak English translation actually. It means Jesus was absolutely gutted. He was churned up on the inside as he considered The extent of the needs that existed in the communities around him. And out of that deep concern, he commissions the 12 and he commissions the 72. There really is a massive harvest all around us. You know, I think it can be a struggle to see the communities around us in that way sometimes. I don't think that helps us in terms of feeling the urgency of the tasks that we've been given. Especially because the case is that we live in one of the most affluent places in the UK, let alone the world. You know, if you live in Badger Farm, you live in one of the least deprived communities in the United Kingdom. And so it's a challenge, isn't it? And a struggle when we live in that kind of context to really fully appreciate... The fact that there's a massive harvest of need all around us. We can look at people who seem materially affluent, self-confident. But Jesus would encourage us to see that there's a harvest there. The diagnosis of the Bible, of course, is that people who don't understand who Jesus is and have not personally embraced what he's done for them, are in a desperately dark and needy situation. Whatever their postcode, however many cars they've got lined up in the garage or on the driveway, whatever their number plates, whatever six-figure salary they may be earning, if they do not know Jesus, they are in a dark, desperate situation. There's a harvest of need around us. We need to see that. We need to appreciate that. That's how we must see our neighbourhoods and the communities that are all around us. I think there's also a danger that we can be satisfied with what's already been achieved. There's a sense in which we can look around the barn and think, well, the barn's half full. (laughs) In fact, sometimes you can look around and think, we're nearly there. We've nearly filled this place. We've achieved so much already. And the tendency and the temptation is to take our eyes off the harvest because we've got a good barn and a great church community around us. We've got great kids work. We've got well-organized small groups. But there's a harvest out there. And we've got to see the harvest of need all around us. You know, as we think about Eastleigh and our thinking about Eastleigh and praying about a fresh uh, you know, church plant in that catchment. That's how we're seeing the community down there. I wonder if you can pop up the, um, the, the picture of the map, guys, if you can. There's a harvest of opportunity, we believe, for us in the Eastley Charners Ford catchment area that's around the Junction 13. You know, as I've looked into this, there's 73 plus thousand people that live in that urban area around Junction 13. And as we go with a a team of about what's about a dozen people, you know, we're going with our eye on the harvest. Well, the reality is for every one of us, wherever we are, whether we're in Eastleigh, whether we're in Kingsworthy, whether whether we're in Badger Farm, Stanmore, Winchester, there is a massive harvest all around us. So Jesus speaks here of the need to appreciate the need and the extent of that need around us. And yet, that's not to paralyze us into a sense of inactivity, that we're never going to make a difference. It's to spur us into action. You see, when we hear the word need as Christians, we should always translate it to opportunity. As Jesus looks out at the multitudes, he doesn't just see a huge, emotionally draining, massive need... He sees opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for this kingdom that he represents and that he embodies to make a difference in all kinds of ways. And so as we look out at the communities around us, we've got to see much, much opportunity. And I believe it's there all around us. You see, we have a gospel that addresses every single need that exists in the communities around us. It's a radical gospel that gets to the root of the problem of human beings and deals with it in a permanent and irreversible way. That's the gospel that we have. It addresses physical needs. It addresses emotional needs. It addresses relational needs. It addresses social needs. It addresses spiritual needs. It's a wonderful gospel. And there's a harvest of need out there that represents massive opportunity for us to begin to take that radical gospel and see transformation after transformation after transformation. There's a harvest of opportunity that's out there for us. Jesus understood that that was his mission. So the first principle is we've got to see the communities around us In that way, we've got to resist the tendency to feel that we've come thus far and it's far enough. (laughs) We've got to resist the tendency to think actually people out there are okay. They're doing well. We've got to see that there's a harvest of need. But the picture also helps us understand the nature of our task as workers. And there are some principles here about the harvest work that you and I are called to that I want to encourage us to think about and to build into our lives increasingly. First principle, prayer. Okay? Now there's no, you know, mysterious You know, secret keys or methods here. These are things that I'm sure you'll be very aware of, but they are fundamental in terms of being effective. Prayer. What's Jesus' first kind of uh, urge to them. Therefore, pray. <laughs> Great harvest, massive need, massive opportunity. Therefore, pray. You know, he doesn't say, therefore, get out as quick as you can and get on with the practicalities of meeting these needs. He says, look, massive harvest. Therefore, you've got to give yourselves to prayer. And so prayer is harvest work. I don't know if you think of prayer in that way. Prayer is part of the business of harvest work that you and I are called and commissioned to engage in. The word here is a strong emotional word. It's an intercessory word. It's the word that means to beg or to beseech. Now we all understand that prayer is important, don't we? I don't need to unpack and convince you that it's important what we need to do is get down to the business of praying Jesus says that reaping the harvest is spiritual warfare you see there's a battle over every individual and so we must give ourselves to prayer we can sow seed we can even water that seed but it is God himself alone that can give us the growth Growth isn't the result of our own cleverness. It's not the result of our own ingenuity. It's not the result of of our own sweat and hard work. Growth is what God himself gives as we get on with the business of working as harvesters in this field. It's God alone who saves, isn't it? It's God alone who heals. It's God alone that can deliver. And so... As we think about the needs and consider the mountain and the challenge of wanting to see fresh growth and fresh progress in the gospel into the communities around us, we must give ourselves to the harvest work of prayer. That's a challenge for us, isn't it? When we grow up in an atmosphere of self-reliance and self-confidence. We think if there's a need, then we can fix it. A mountain well, let's work out how we're going to move this mountain. You know, let's form a strategy. Let's put together a budget. Let's work it out. How are we going to approach this mountain? But it's God who moves mountains. And God alone who can move mountains. We don't move mountains through our own human ingenuity. Now, there's a place for planning and budgeting. We're doing that ourselves as we think about planting a church in Eastleigh. But at the end of the day, God alone can give the growth. And so we must give ourselves to prayer. Someone said prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. R.A. Torrey said this, The great cry of our day is work, work, work. Organise, organise, organise. Give us some new society. Tell us some new methods. Devise some new machinery. But the great need of our day is prayer, more prayer, and better prayer. Now, the most shocking thing about that quote is it was given in 1924. Now, if that was the great cry of their day and their culture, how much more is that the cry of our day in 2011 with all the technology and advances that we've seen since then? And how much more urgent is the need for us today to give ourselves to the harvest business of praying for the harvest? I want to encourage us... And We have been praying. That's how we've begun the year. And I want to encourage you as you think about this year ahead to make prayer a priority, to make our corporate times of prayer a priority. As an individual, during our whole church prayer nights, I want to encourage us to give ourselves to the harvest work of prayer. It's not an aside. It's not something unrelated to the work of harvest. It is harvest work that we do once a month in here. On a Wednesday evening. Let's be there. Let's give ourselves to the work of prayer. Second principle. Proximity. You cannot gather a harvest remotely. You cannot sit in the safety of the barn. And command the harvest to come in in Jesus name. That's not how harvest work happens. You have to get your boots on. And you have to get out into the field. And you have to walk physically amongst the harvest. That's where the work happens. In Jesus' day, it meant literally, you know, putting one foot in front of the other, taking a tool and getting out into the fields, feeling the harvest brush against you. It involved proximity, involved being in and amongst the harvest field. Jesus encourages them here as they enter a new town to look for natural opportunities to get in amongst the harvest field. He says, if a home welcomes you, make the most of that. Stay there. Eat, drink, socialize, enjoy time with those who are welcoming to you and sympathetic to you. In fact, he says, don't move on from that home. Invest in quality, time, ...with those individuals. Being a worker in the harvest... ...involves spending time socially with others... ...in a context where relationships can naturally develop. That's the way the harvester works. He or she dedicates quality time... ...to socialising with unreached people. To be a follower of Jesus is to look for those opportunities... ...and make the most of those opportunities... We've got some opportunities coming up here in the coming months. The, the, the Strictly Latin. yeah, the, um, the, the Alpha Introduction evening. Opportunities to spend time socially with others in a context where relationships can happen naturally. That's what a harvester does. He spends time in and amongst the harvest fields. If we're going to reap the harvest that I believe God's promised us, we have to spend time in and amongst the fields. We have to spend time reaching and and being with those that we're seeking to reach, socializing with and serving needy people from the communities that exist all around us. You see, our response to this harvest of need out there is not to retreat into the safety of a subculture but to get urgently and actively out amongst the communities to make a difference for the glory of Jesus. Now we look for ways creatively to do that. That, of course, was exactly the kind of lifestyle that Jesus had modelled. A lifestyle that valued time invested in friendship with those who were not yet part of the religious community. Jesus spent time with those who were as far as you could possibly get from the religious community. There's a mixing and a mingling with those who in his day were the underbelly of society. And for Jesus, proximity was important. In fact, there's a sense in which he organised his diary around the lost. He socialised and served those who were outside of the religious community of his day. Proximity is, I think, a key key principle. It obviously brought Jesus into conflict with the religious people of his day. And here for the seventy two, that's the approach that Jesus encourages them to take. Find a home, find a man of peace, someone who was willing to spend time with you and stay with him, socialise with him, build relationship. Give yourself to that. That's harvest work. For the 72, of course, that meant literally going into homes. And for them in their culture, homes were obviously you know, at the core of where relationships were built between one and another. In first century Palestine, the home was a natural place to experience this proximity with others and to build relationship with others. I think by and large in our day and in our culture, that's probably not the case. Now there's a sense in which it's true, but I think that there are perhaps other ways in which we can apply the principle in other contexts. And I think we need to ask ourselves questions, we need to reflect on this, and I'm hoping in the small groups this week we'll do this in in community groups. We need to ask ourselves, what are the most natural contexts in our culture where friendships with those from the communities around us, can develop. It involves proximity. Third thing I want to look at is patience. You see, sometimes when we talk about the harvest and we can sing songs about the harvest and pray about the harvest, what actually we're thinking in our minds is something very significant happening in a very brief period of time. And I think often when we talk about harvest... We're actually talking about what we would call revival. Something happening very quickly, very sovereignly, in a very short period of time. And that's fine. But that's not actually primarily what Jesus thinks about when he's thinking about harvest. When Jesus thinks about harvest, he's thinking about the process that goes on over a long period of time to get that crop to the point at which it's ready to be reaped. In John 4, he explicitly talks about that. talks about the fact that his disciples are going to be reaping what others a long time before have previously sown. And so when we think about the harvest, we have to accept the reality that there has to be a, a measure of patience and perseverance and commitment over the long haul to this work of harvesting. It's not smash and grab evangelism. It's an investment of time in relationships with those within the communities around us. In another parable in Mark, uh, Mark 4, uh, Jesus speaks about how we can be confident that there's power in the seed. And he talks about the sower sowing seed and then night and day, whether he wakes or whether he sleeps, that seed produces fruit. Now I used to read that. And mistakenly, somehow, I don't know how, but think that 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 meant one night and one morning. So he plants a seed, he goes to bed, he wakes up the next morning and it's ready. All by itself it's grown. Actually, that's not what the parable teaches. The parable teaches that there's a long process. And yet there is an inherent power and the, the worker can be confident in the inherent power of that seed... To come to fruition. But it takes time. It doesn't just take a night. It doesn't happen in 24 hours. It happens over a long process of time. And so we must be prepared to be patient. This mountain may not move in three months. Or six months. Or a year. It will move. And the gospel will advance. And we will see progress. But we must be patient and committed to To the long haul. You see, the reality is modern Britain is not, is it, a spiritual hothouse where seed sown one day under hydroponics comes up and bears fruit within 48 hours. That's not the spiritual atmosphere that we live in. Now, God can change that, and when we're praying for revival, that's what we're asking. God change the spiritual atmosphere. But the reality is actually, in modern Britain, for most of us, The communities around us are like barren fields and we go out and we sow seed and we come back and nothing's happened and we go and we sow a bit more, we go back, nothing's happened. And yet we've got to understand, we've got to be patient, we've got to persevere, we've got to be committed to investing quality time over a long process and period of time into these relationships and into this work of harvest. And so I want to encourage you, maybe you've invested time in individuals and you've seen nothing happen. Maybe family members. Maybe you feel fed up with being out there in the field. You're, you're, you're sick of the field. You're sick of the lack of results. Frustrated. You feel like giving up. I want to encourage you, be patient. There's power in that seed, but there's a process. There's time that's needed. Pray for God to come, change the atmosphere, but keep on sowing that seed. Keep on building that relationship. Keep on investing in those friendships. That's harvest work. It involves patience. I'm just gonna, we're going to finish very shortly. I just want to mention a couple of things just as headlines. Partnerships important. This is team work, harvest work. You see, the tendency is to sometimes think that what we need is just a lone ranger to go and get the harvest for us. An anointed evangelist, and there certainly is a very key role for evangelists to equip us to the work of our ministry. But the solution is not in an individual. The solution is in the whole community getting on with the business of harvest work. We lived in the pool. We know very, you know, we've got very uh, good experience of what happens at harvest time. The whole community goes back to the village and they are all involved hands on with the work of harvest. It's teamwork, partnership is important. Jesus doesn't send out 72 individuals, he sends out 36 teams of two. And the final thing power. Jesus said, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. There is a supernatural aspect to their mission. And Jesus is saying, look, as you go, it's not just with a verbal message. It's with the authority and power of the kingdom that's upon you and in you. In fact, as we read the account and we read further on in Luke 10, you know, they come back absolutely thrilled because they've seen demons cast out. And it's like, you know, they kind of half didn't expect it to happen. It's so real, isn't it? That's what we're like. And they come back and say, this really works. This really works. People are healed. People are delivered. And Jesus has to kind of, you know, just dampen their over-excitement and over-exuberance a little bit. But that's the reality. Sometimes we're unaware of the power and authority that we have as workers in the harvest field. I want to encourage you. To look for opportunities to extend that power. Praying for the sick. and shared of healing on the streets. That happens every Saturday in the city. People every month in our city are knowing a measure of healing as God's supernatural power touches them. It really works, friends. It really does. Now we've got to get ourselves in terms of our faith to the place where we're believing that and expecting it to happen. And looking for the opportunities to step out. And pray for God's power to come upon individuals. Power is a key principle. Let me encourage us then as we wind up. We must give ourselves to the work of the harvest. There's huge needs and opportunities in the communities around us. Let's give ourselves as we face this mountain all the more to urgent, persistent, passionate prayer for God to give us the growth. Let's give ourselves to a lifestyle that's lived in proximity to those around us. Let's be patient and not give up the work of harvest because of disappointments. Let's work in partnership with one another and let's anticipate God's power to be on us as we go about that work. Amen. Can I ask us to stand together? We're just going to pray briefly. I want to ask you to reach out, lift up your hands, and we're going to just pray, God, help us. That's what we are. As you look around at one another. In fact, do that. Look around at one another. We are workers in a harvest field. We have massive opportunities. Let's pray now, God, give us this mountain. Help us build these things in our approach to this work of harvest. Come on us with your power and authority. Even this week, give us opportunities. Give us creative ways to let these principles shape the way that we live our lives. Let's lift our voices together and let's pray for that.